Let's get started. Okay, great. So, 9 o'clock. So, um, let's, let's open with Psalm 62, um, if you have a Bible. start reading from uh, verse 5, Psalm 62. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all time, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken... Twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. So last week, we looked at, uh, in the history of Israel, um, pretty early on, after the first couple of kings, the kingdom, the monarchy, splits in half. Uh, And last week, we talked about the northern kingdom of Israel, the northern half of of that split. And and, uh, the big takeaway from that is it was a morass of of sin and idolatry from beginning to end. There's really nothing good to say about it, at least in terms of their leadership. Um, And this week, we're talking about the southern kingdom of Judah, the the southern half after the split. and if the, if the northern kingdom of Israel is, is just idolatry from beginning to end, one might wonder, what hope does Judah have? Uh, what, what hope is there in the, southern, in the southern half of this split kingdom? Um, but in fact, uh, things go a lot better in, in the southern kingdom. Uh, the contrast is striking, especially at first. Um, there is this uh, refrain, of, uh, especially among the early kings, uh, the heart of, of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. Jehoshaphat walked in, in all the way of Asa his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Uh, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days, because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Amaziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not like David his father. He did in all things as Joash's father had done, etc., etc. The first several kings, it goes splendidly uh, in, in the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, they were not strategically positioned Um, so the the contrast is striking Uh, you know as as, uh, King Ahab is doing all sorts of horrible stuff in the north in in the south we're seeing kings like Jehoshaphat uh, doing what is right in, in the eyes of the Lord. Um, so one might wonder, reading this, 
what makes the difference for them? Why is it so different? Um, and the contrast is God's promise. Uh, all the way back to King David in, in 2 Samuel 7, which we looked at several weeks ago. Um, recall God saying, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, David, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Uh, so God promises David in, in the house of, of David uh, his own presence in the temple, this, this house for his name, um, and, and that David's descendants would always be on the throne in Jerusalem. Uh, and if they're always on the throne in Jerusalem, then, then uh, they have to be doing something right or else God would sweep them away. Uh, so God protects them uh, to, to be different from the kings in the north. Um, and let, let's get this right then. You know, if, it's, if, it's, if their distinction is God's promise, then it's not their own, their own effort, their own merit. It's, it's about God's promise that protects them. Uh, I, I think there's a lesson for us here, too, uh, that um, anything good that happens uh, in the church, by the church, which uh, is unfortunately not as common as we would like as we look at church history, but anything good that the church does or, or, or anything uh, good that happens in the church is uh, not really to be credited to us. There, there's no place for, for Christians to be saying, well, look at us, we're so much better than all those idolaters out there. Um, but if it's God's promise that, and God's faithfulness to his people that protects Judah, uh, at least at first, especially at first, uh, then it's the same for us today. Jesus says to us, I will be with you always to the end, to the end of the age. Uh, if God's presence protects Judah, uh, at least at first, well, it's, it's the same for us. God's presence is with us and, and keeps us uh, in, in Christ. Um, but Judah goes horribly wrong uh, after, after several generations at first. Um, we see kings like Ahaz. Uh, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord as God as David, his father, had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Um, and as we look in the, in the prophets, uh, so that's the books in the Old Testament from Isaiah to the end of the Old Testament, um, we see uh, part, of, part of what makes the prophets so challenging to read uh, is that a lot of it is God saying through the prophet how horrible his people are being. And just, it's a litany of, of sin. Um, so this week I, I poked through the prophets of, of Judah, um, especially Isaiah and Jeremiah, and, and said, well, what are the major categories of things that God uh, has against his people, Judah? Um, and I think the, the root of all of them, and we're going to talk about some of these, the big, the big ones, the big categories of ways that Judah goes wrong, uh, but they all come down to this root problem of not trusting in the God, the faithful God who had made these promises to his people and who had proven his faithfulness uh, over, over centuries. Um, did, oh, you go. Okay. Um, 
So, one of the ways that they go wrong. Uh, the worship of idols. Um, Jeremiah writes, uh, Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? Uh, the children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Uh, or, or in Second Chronicles, we see about King Ahaz. Uh, in the time of his distress, when, when other nations around him were, were, were uh, besieging Judah, in the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord, this same King Ahaz. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him and said, because the gods of the king of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. That, that bit in Second Chronicles, I think, really gets, uh, gets close to the heart of, of what is going on when, when Judah worships idols. Uh, you know, th- this whole idea of idol worship might not connect with us so much because... People don't make idols and worship them uh, today in the West, at least. Um, you know, we, we talk about idolatry of uh, money or power or, or all, we, we, can, we can talk about idolatry in this kind of metaphorical way. And, and, that's, and that's, that works, that, that's sound. Uh, but no one actually, you know, makes a, a wooden idol and, and sacrifices to it or bows down to it. Uh, so, so we might not totally connect with what's going on here. But I love this bit in 2 Chronicles 28 uh, because uh, we, we see the kind of heart dynamic in, in King Ahaz. Uh, he says, well, Syria defeats me, so that must mean their gods are stronger than I am. So I'll, I'll you know, Yahweh, the God of Judah, hasn't come through for me, so I'll, I'll worship these other gods of Syria. They, they seem to be, Syria seems to be doing pretty all right. The, the gods seem to be helping them, so I'll, 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 uh, I'll sacrifice, I'll, I'll worship to them. Um, fundamentally, Ahaz's idolatry is uh, not trusting in the God who had brought them out of Egypt, who had brought them into this promised land, uh, even though they were a lot smaller than, than the people who were in the land, um, not trusting in the God who had protected them for centuries, uh, even though God had promised always to keep a son of David on the throne in Jerusalem. He's not, it's fundamentally not trusting in the promises of God. Um, and similarly, we see the prophets bring against Judah uh, a reliance on political Alliances and on on military effort, human effort, uh, instead of God. Um, in Isaiah 31, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Um, now, you can sympathize with this, I think. You know, humanly speaking, if uh, you are this tiny nation and everyone around you wants to wipe you off the map, uh, it makes sense, humanly speaking, to uh, get these political alliances with some of the nations around you. Um, Egypt is the big bully on, on the block, so it makes sense. Make an alliance with Egypt and then they can help you. Uh, and of course, if you're being besieged militarily, then of course you're going to trust in horses and chariots. Chariots were the great military technology of the time. Of course you're going to trust in it. And yet, how, how did Judah persist so long 
already. You know, uh, it, it was it was because you know the the God of Israel who brought them up out of Egypt was was protecting them. Uh, it, they didn't have chariots when they were crossing the Red Sea. Um, so again, this is fundamentally not trusting in uh, the. the this faithful God who had already uh, proven his past faithfulness to them. Um, Early on in Isaiah, uh, God confronts them about empty religious ritual. Um, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Um, or in Jeremiah, behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, the temple, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Um... I think as, you know, Baptists, we like to think that we don't do a bunch of empty rituals. Uh, but but, we, but we, do, we do have some, you know, sort of religious ritual practices, like going upstairs and singing hymns and praying, uh, you know, reading, reading your Bible and your, in your, you know, devotional, in your devotional reading of scripture. Um, and to rely on these good things... Uh, to the exclusion of of uh, this trust and obedience uh, to what God has said, is is uh, it's trying to come to God on our terms instead of God's terms. Uh, it's trying to mold God to our will instead of molding ourselves to His will. It's not trusting that God will uh, actually uh, embrace us if. Uh, if we're open and honest with him and with others about uh, our messiness, um, to, to put on a show uh, with these sort of religious practices that uh, have become empty um, is, is uh, not to trust that God really will still love us if, if uh, we're, we're open about our mess. Or maybe it's, it's not trusting that God's commands are for our good. Um, you know, we, we like to keep up appearances, but we don't want to actually change our, our way of living uh, because we're afraid that if we actually start obeying God's commands, then uh, that'll be too arduous, uh, too onerous. Um, it, it's, uh, you see what I'm, I'm doing here? I'm, I'm taking all these different categories of... of Sin that come up in the prophets, uh, and saying, "Well, really, this comes down to not trusting trusting in God." Um, and, and I think this can be a really helpful sort of exercise for ourselves when we're looking at our own lives and, and thinking uh, maybe about certain things that we're doing uh, that um, God would have us repent of. Uh, well, it, it can be really helpful to look at what what is. The, the root of it. Uh, what, what are the you know, deep beliefs and desires? Uh, what is it that I'm believing about God that makes this behavior make sense? Uh, and, and a lot of the times, it, 
it, it comes down to not trusting in, not trusting that God is for us. Um, that's what it comes down to for Israel uh, and for Judah. And then this, this last category that I, that I pull out, that's probably one of the, the, the really, really big ones uh, that comes up in the prophets, uh, is injustice to the poor and marginalized. Um, like in Isaiah, woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep on writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment and the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your wealth? Um, or elsewhere, also in Isaiah, uh, those who accumulate houses are as good as dead. Those who also accumulate landed property until there is no land left and you are the only landowners remaining within the land. Um, you know, throughout history and today, you don't need to look very hard to see that the, the rich and powerful oppress the, the poor and marginalized. Uh, but it wasn't supposed to be that way in Judah. Um, you know, in the New Testament, James equates the mere possession of wealth with oppression. Uh, so this this is a this is a uh, an indictment that spans the whole breadth of Scripture. Um, now, why why do people do that? Why why do uh, the the rich and powerful oppress the poor and needy? Well, I I think in Judah especially, it's it's not trusting that. Uh, you'll have enough. Uh, and for Judah, it's not trusting in the God who brought them manna in the desert, uh, who, who, brought, who, who gave them water from the rock when they were wandering in the wilderness. Uh, the God who, who, uh, made bread from, who brought down bread from heaven six days a week when they were wandering about in the desert and didn't have any food is a God who can be trusted to make sure you have enough even, even if you... Uh, don't subject the poor uh, to injustice. Um, this, you know, in, in Matthew 6, let's, let's actually turn there for a moment. Um, In Matthew 6, uh, verse 24, the turn between verses 24 and 25 had confused me for years. Uh, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Now, that, therefore, perplexed me for a while. Uh, you know, don't, you cannot serve God in money. Therefore, don't be anxious about money, basically. Don't be anxious about food and clothing. Um, well, I, I think what's going on here is Jesus is saying, uh, if, if, if God is for us, if God 
loves his people and, and is fundamentally for us and not against us, then we can trust that he'll provide uh, the, the bare essentials of life, food and, food and clothing, uh, without us needing to accumulate resources at the expense of others unjustly. Um, I think that's what's going on in this therefore. You don't need to serve money in order to have enough to get by. Um, n- not, not if, not if uh, God is for his people. Um, and this is so important to Christ that in Matthew 25, Jesus describes uh, the way that, that people treat the poor and marginalized as the sole criterion in, in judgment when, when Christ returns. Uh, there's no mention of faith or of the gospel there. It's, it's just how you treat the least of these, my brothers and sisters. Uh, the way, the way that, um, the way that God's people treat the poor and marginalized reveals whether God's people are, are trusting in God, uh, to, to provide for their needs. It's, it's fundamentally, again, uh, uh, do we trust in God's character? Do we trust in God's fatherly kindness? Um, and Judah doesn't. Um, they, they, they stumble and turn away. Um, so at this, at this point, I'm going about 25 minutes. Uh, at this point, are there any comments or questions or concerns? Um, am I articulating, am I making enough sense? Uh, I think this is his, uh, yeah. I'll just have been um, on the uh, yeah injustice toward the poor. I think I think wealth is a, wealth in many ways is like it's a tricky thing, right? Because um, you know, don't, it's, I don't I don't think Bible says it's a sin to be rich, but on the other hand, there's so many warnings against loving money, um, hoarding money, like not being generous with money. It's like I think we need to. Be, I mean, in, in, in the U.S., it's like the goal is to become, you know, the goal is to become rich or at least have plenty that you don't have to worry about anything bad happening to you. Um, so, I, I mean, I think we need to, to question ourselves a more, probably generally more than we do about, um, you know, am I, am I trusting money? Am I, being, am I being generous? Like, that's part of, in some ways, like, am I willing to let go of some of my money to give it to... God's purposes. Well, that's probably a good sign that, you know, we're at least not totally idolizing it, you know, or attached to it. So, yeah. But I think it's a tricky thing because it's, it's not so clear as some other. There are other commands where um, sometimes it can seem like very clear like you broke that, you've either lied or you haven't lied. Like you've either told the truth or you've lied. It's like, well, have you been greedy or have you been responsible? Well, like the line is just a little more, it's just a little harder for us to see the, that line. Um, but I think it's, it, it is a big theme both in the Old Testament and New Testament, so. Yeah. I was going to say, I think, um, to follow that up, that it's all relative. I mean, we, each one of us is really rich compared to people in other nations. You go to look at Haiti or something, it's like, we are super wealthy even though we may feel like, oh, we're just barely making it and all that. but So I think it's what are we doing 
because it's all relative, what are we doing around us to help people with what we do have? And I found that like the more you give away, the more God seems to supply. So. And it's always the tension of maintaining that balance because yeah. we get caught in the, the cultural constraint of excess is honorable. Mm. And we get sucked into it. This is noble. This is desirable. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a, a challenging word for people who live in uh, the wealthiest per capita nation in the history of, of the world. Um, I think I, that's still, I think China might be beating us, but not per capita. It, whatever, that doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Um, and, I, and I should say, uh, you know, I, I say, you know, James equates the mere possession of wealth with oppression. Uh, it is, James lived in a different economic world also. Um, you know, our, our economy, the global economy is growing at a rate that is unimaginable to the ancient world, right? In a growing economy, it is actually possible for everyone to be getting better off every year. Uh, it is imaginable. Uh, if the pie is getting bigger, uh, then everyone's slice is getting bigger. Um, in a way that just, that's not how it worked in the ancient world. If you were rich in the ancient world, it probably was due to, you know, defrauding the poor. Um, well, James specifically says you've kept back by fraud the wages of the laborers who mow your fields. Right. And he just sort of assumes, he begins by speaking against the rich, and then he just sort of assumes that, well, if you're rich, you must be doing something like this uh, in a way that is not necessarily so certain uh, in, a, in a global economy that is growing unimaginably faster than you know in the Greco-Roman world. Um, but it's still uh, it, it's still something to take very seriously. Um, okay. Uh, now, Judah, having not you know, over the course of centuries, right? So the kingdom splits in like nine in the nine thirties BC, uh, but then. Uh, centuries later, in the 500s uh, BC, um, God's had enough. Uh, Ezekiel writes, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, am against you, and I will execute judgments in your midst in the sight of the nations. There's sort of like this dynamic from that we were talking about in Numbers chapters 13 and 14 when Israel's about to enter the land. Uh, Israel's thinking, uh, well, would that, you know, if only we had died in the wilderness instead of having to go up into this land that God promised us and then just get slaughtered by the people living there. Uh, and God says, all right, you don't trust that I'm for you. You would rather die in the wilderness? Fine. Um, you know, this dynamic of God gives us what we really want. Uh, well, if Judah is not trusting that God is for them for centuries, well, God turns around and says, fine, behold, I, even I am against you. Um, it's this chilling kind of a dynamic. Um, and we, we see in 2 Kings uh, 24, the Lord sent against Judah bands of the Babylonians and bands of the Syrian and bands of the Moabites and bands of the Ammonites and sent them against Judah to destroy it. 
according to the word of the Lord, that he spoke by his servants, the prophets. Surely this came upon Judah at the command of the Lord to to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also for the innocent blood that he had shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord was not willing to forgive. Uh, you know, if, if even God says, uh, even I am against you, then, then what hope can Judah have? Um, well, once again, the hope for Judah is this faithful God who had promised. Uh, after all, we read at the beginning uh, here that God had promised to always keep a son of David on the throne in Jerusalem. Um, and if God sends all these other nations to destroy Jerusalem, then at some point there must be another king coming because God had promised. Um, and even earlier in, in Deuteronomy 30, God promises, you know, when you're disobedient, I'm going to send you out of the land. I'm going to exile you out of the land. Uh, but then I'm going to restore you and bring you back. Uh, so even all the way back in Deuteronomy, uh, before Israel had even entered the land, God had promised, well, after all this happens, I'm still going to be with you. I'm still going to bring you back. Um, the hope that Judah has is even after persistently not trusting in the faithful God who had promised. Even so, this faithful God had promised. Um, and, and for us, if the root of Judah's sin is not trusting in, in the promising God, in, in God's fatherly kindness and promises, uh, will we trust that God is for us? Uh, and, and we have strong assurances uh, that God is for us um, on this side of the cross. Uh, we can say that with Paul in Romans 5, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We can look at that historical reality and say, if God did this, then I can trust he's for me uh, in any circumstance, no matter what. Um, and then there's this glorious bit at, at the end of Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's like the inverse of that thing in Ezekiel, right? If God is against us, who can be for us? Well, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, and I, I, I love this sort of reasoning that Paul does here, right? God has already done the hard thing, giving us his son. Well, that means we can trust him in all the, the easy little stuff, comparatively. Uh, if if uh, you're arrested and put in prison and uh, bail is set at 10 grand and your buddy bails you out, you can trust him that he'll... You know, he's good for, for the bus fare to get you home. You know, if he's already paid 10 grand, what's bus fare? Uh, you know, if God has already given us his son, uh, then he could be trusted with all things, where we're said. Uh, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. 
how will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? Uh, and I think what Paul means there by all things is all things. Um, if not now, then, then in the age to come. Uh, Psalm 84 puts it, uh, no good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. Um, this is this is stunning to imagine. Uh, I, I think sometimes we need to we need to cultivate our our imagination of of how wonderfully kind God is towards us. Uh, I think in in First Corinthians six, I, I should have put this on the sheet. Um, I think in First Corinthians six, Paul says uh, to the Corinthian church, "Do you not know that you're going to judge angels?" So a few weeks ago, Nick, Nick was preaching upstairs and, and talked about angels as these uh, spiritual beings that are uh, so glorious that usually in the Bible, when someone encounters them, they fall down in worship because you think, well, something this incredible must be God. Well, if you're in Christ, you're going to be judging angels. I, don't, I can't even fathom that, right? Uh, in, in the, at the end of, of Revelation... Uh, a wonderful place to sort of sit and try to cultivate this imagination of what God, how wonderfully kind God is towards us. Uh, I'm reading from Revelation 22, uh, describing the the new creation. Uh, We're told, uh, the Lord God will be their light, they being God's people, and they will reign forever and ever. And if you're in Christ, that they reigning forever and ever, is you. Uh, if, if, if you ever, you know, uh, look at the news and think, wow, I could do a better job uh, than, than these organizations or governments, uh, well, something, there's something in there that's actually good because in the age to come, you will be participating in that. Uh, I can't, do you see how, how wild that is? Um, what, what I'm getting at here is uh, it, if we look at Scripture and see what God has done for us, particularly on the cross, and we look at what God is promising for us when Christ returns, uh, and that, that can give us uh, fertile soil to just imagine and, and uh, not imagine as if it doesn't exist or that it's not real, but uh, to image, to imagine just how wonderfully kind God is towards us, how reliable his promises are, how faithful he is to us. Uh, And that sweeps the legs out from underneath this uh, pattern in Judah of not trusting in God and therefore disobeying in all these different ways. Uh, If we look at what God has done for us, then we can trust him. And if we can trust him, then then that sweeps the legs out from underneath. Um, There there is this... uh, wonderful bit from a sermon I found on, online. Surely, it's about this bit in Romans 8. Surely if he would not spare his own son one stroke, one tear, one groan, one sigh, one circumstance of misery, it can never be imagined that he should ever, after this, deny or withhold from his people for whose sakes all this was suffered. Any mercies, any comforts, any privilege which is good for them. Uh, you know, God has already done the hard part. Uh, everything else in, in life, he can be relied upon. Um, 
Now, our idea of what is good for us is not, is not always accurate. I'm I'm not saying that God's going to give you a jumbo jet or something. Uh, Because our idea of what is good for us is not not always right. Um, But the God who gave his own son can be relied upon for for everything good. Um, Everything that that is ultimately good for us. Um, Are there there any... uh, A heck of a lot. Uh, We got to the end of the handout and and it's quite early yet. But... Uh, are there any are there any other thoughts on this? H- have you have you ever uh, engaged in this sort of practice of looking at when examining your life through the lens of you know how how am I not trusting or, or examining maybe you, patterns of sin and thinking well what is what is the root belief of not trusting or what am I believing about God that makes this sin make sense? Uh, ha- has that been? Helpful in the past, or, or any other any other thoughts? I don't know. You know, I was just maybe a, a slightly different perspective. One of the challenges of being a Christian is to look at life through God's lens and identify His hand in our lives. And it's so easy when things go right to say, oh, God did that. Hmm. But, you know, even going back to um, your uh, Ahaz um, that you talked about early, that because Syria defeated them, he assumes that God is stronger. One of our... His challenge there was believing that in God's economy, even loss has value. And I think our challenge, just like the people of Judah, is believing that God is good when, when we don't see it. And believing that God does have value in loss. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Our idea of what is good and, and what God might do for our good is not is not always what what's in God's mind of, of what is good for us and what what is actually ultimately uh, helpful. Yeah. Um, what does that look like for you in the day to day? It's very easy, I think, to be a cynic. It's very easy to um, assume that everyone has an angle. Um, to assume that uh, God has an angle, to assume that the biblical authors have an angle, uh, and that every relation is a power relation, and to to be a cynic. Um, I I think cynicism is is one of the uh, great sins uh, an understandable sin, but but I, I think sin nonetheless of uh, of my generation at least. 
um, and trust is really the opposite of cynicism, right? Uh, if you're a cynic, then you're not trusting anyone. Uh, you're, you're assuming that, that everyone is hiding something and that everyone's duplicitous and everyone's a hypocrite. Uh, and that can even extend to God. Um, even though it doesn't make any sense to say that God is duplicitous. No, it doesn't make any sense at all. Um, so, yeah. Trust is a muscle that I think is in today's cultural context of uh, the, this society, at least this part of the country, um, is a muscle that, that easily atrophies. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting that well, the problem with evil is there's evil. How can God be all powerful and for our good? Sure. And know what's going on. And trust is running the argument the other way. It's, I know God's good. I know God's powerful. I know God knows what He's doing. So this evil can't be inscribed. Yeah. It's funny how the kind of the strongest argument against Christianity is what trust is that is directly attacking. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what what's needed there is to look at uh, look at the world through the lens of the cross, right? Uh, I mean, what is what is the greatest horrific evil that's ever happened? If not the 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 the, the crucifixion of God, right? Uh, and yet somehow that that is actually the the foundation of our being able to trust God. Um, yeah. Sometimes it feels like trusting God is taking a blank check, signing it, giving it to God, and keeps upping the amount. <laughs> Catch it. Mm. Who who was it who said? Um, I think this is Bonhoeffer. Uh, when when Christ calls a person, uh, he calls him come and die. My goodness, um, that's putting it awfully starkly. Uh, but that's like that blank check that you're giving to God, saying it's it's all. It's all yours, and I can trust you with this because you went to the cross for me. Yeah. I think the easiest times to die for us all are the moments when we realize, well, I can't trust me with my life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. John, yeah. No, it certainly Silence, and my hope is from him. 
we can look at the downers of our life and respond and stand back and wait because our hope is in Him. And we can go ahead and exegete the rest of that. And I think it's all applicable to some of these issues. God has purposes we may not understand, but we can trust and we can wait. that let us let us pray once god has spoken twice have i heard this that power belongs to god and that to you o lord belongs steadfast love lord you are loving and faithful to your people And we can see that preeminently in the cross. We know that um, if you went as far as to give your son for us, we can trust that you are for us in all things. Um, And we know that you, um, your hands are not bound, uh, that you are strong. Um, And so we can take refuge in you, knowing that you are loving and for us and that you are um, strong to act um, for our good. Lord, um, give us hearts of, of trust, of implicit trust in you um, that we might trust that, that you are always for us um, and that we might not uh, stray from that way as um, as your people have in the past, as they did in Judah. Um, Lord, and as we go upstairs, um, soften and open our hearts um, to love you and one another, we pray. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.